If you head down to your local MMA show or your local Muay Thai show, it's completely different. You know, it's actually a very respectful and it's a very strong community. So don't get me wrong, there's always injuries, but I think that, you know, major head injuries and stuff like that, it's not as common as what people think. I had some fighters in an amateur fight competition yesterday and there was not one knockout, not one. I think there may have been a TKO where, where the ref called it, but other than that, there were no major injuries and that's across 15 bouts with 30 athletes. G'day and welcome back to Real Risk, the adventure podcast. Now, for those who enjoy video podcasts, I've engaged with Podbooth here in Adelaide to produce the show and I'm really excited about how it's going to work. For those who listen in the car or on your daily walk, the audio files, of course, will still be available. My name's Richard Harris, and you might remember me from my involvement in the 2018 Thai Cave Rescue. Well, that adventure has led to many other exciting opportunities, including the chance to chat with like-minded adventurers and risk-takers on this podcast. There's lots of exciting things to announce over the course of the season, and plenty of brilliant, daring, adventurous and thoughtful guests already lined up. There'll be more extreme athletes, more divers, more soldiers... More people who get off on going fast, climbing high or challenging themselves in ways most of us can't even dream of. And all of them will talk to us about why they think the benefits outweigh the dangers. Why risk is integral to making us stronger, more resilient and better able to cope with the stresses of daily life. And let's face it, when has that ever been more important? Hi and thanks for joining me once again. Have you ever wondered how you might fare if you stepped into the boxing ring or onto the dojo? If you're like me, you hopefully have enough insight to recognise that a total lack of skill and coordination should prevent that thought ever being put into action. But today's guest has not only given it a crack, she has excelled. As an amateur and as a professional and now as a businesswoman, running a very successful Muay Thai and self-defence training gym here in Adelaide, South Australia. Her name is Carly the Cupcake Gangel. The nickname Cupcake is probably either ironic or is designed to fool her opponents into thinking she's a soft touch. I suspect nothing could be further from the truth. Let's chat to Carly and find out right now on Real Risk. Carly, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a huge privilege to have you on the show. I'm slightly intimidated and in awe of what you have achieved in 24 short years. And it makes me think, what was I doing when I was 24 years old? And I can tell you, I had not accomplished what you have. So uh, congratulations on what has been an amazing start to your life. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's been quite busy. I've uh, crammed a lot in, but I wouldn't have it any other way. Now, we were just talking before we started about we were both Flinders University graduates. I uh, was at medical school a number of years before you, I suspect. But I was really pleased to hear that you, you really enjoyed your university experience. I did, yeah. It's, uh, uni's hard, but I think if you're pretty self-motivated, then then it's not too bad. I really enjoyed the social aspect, though, you know, so meeting people from all different walks of life. You know, it's not just young people at uni. There were older people as well. And, yeah, I made some really good business connections in the business school, actually. So some of those connections came in handy later down the track as well. So, yeah, I had a great experience at Flinders, That's although good. I wouldn't go back. <laughs> you wouldn't go back? <laughs> no. You'd do, it, you'd do it again if you had to, though, would you? I would, yeah, but uh, I think my study days are over. <laughs> yeah, no, study's tough, but uh, it sort of impinges on the sh- social life a bit as well. But it's obviously put you in good stead, and we'll talk about your your business as well in a bit. But we better go back to the start because you're not here primarily because of your business attributes. You're here because of your fighting and Muay Thai in particular uh, skills. And let's just start with your 
fighting name, your nickname, Cupcake. <laughs> now, is that ironic? Is that supposed to lure people into a, a, a sense of you know confidence that uh, your nickname is Cupcake? How did that come about? Uh, it came about because I've got uh, the world's biggest sweet tooth. So as I was fighting uh, and having to cut weight and mate, make weight essentially, there would be a little problem called sugar that would get in my way sometimes. So uh, it came about because of that and then I guess I always wore pink as well. I really liked the girly colours for my tie shorts and my boxing gloves. So one day I think my dad just called me cupcake in the gym and then it just stuck and I guess if you know my personality, it does suit me a little bit. <laughs> well, I think that's brilliant. Because uh, you know, normally you would expect to be called Fang or you know Razor or Death on two legs or something. But Cupcake yeah. uh, would make me think, oh, I'm just fighting Cupcake this weekend. How bad can it be? But, yeah, exactly. So but, yeah, maybe uh, luring people into false sense of security is what it's about as well. But uh, yeah, I think Cupcake suits me. I don't think I could have a very serious fight name. No, well, that's good. Well, um, there's a, it's a big psychological game as well as a physical one, I imagine. So I guess that's uh, that's the first battle won if they're not suspecting that. Uh, you're, you know, you're as, as dangerous as what I believe you can be. When did it all start for you, Carly? When did you first have your first gym or fighting experience? So I was very fortunate to be born into a martial arts family. So my dad owns Boar's Martial Arts. So he's done that all for, I think he's had that club for about 26 years now. So yeah, I was born into it. Both of my siblings were involved in martial arts and, and did boxing. So I guess for as long as I can remember, I've grown up in a martial arts gym and been in that environment. So I guess it was kind of just fate that I was going to end up on that pathway. So you, you grew up loving it from as long as you can remember? or I've always been involved in it. I can't remember. I mean, obviously, as a kid, it can be very hard to live a very strict and disciplined life. So I think I was pretty casual with it as a kid. I, I probably had a couple of years off as a teenager and I would maybe go once or twice a week. But it was when I was around 11 or 12, I went to my first fight show with my family and looking at the ring and, and the competitors, I just knew that was what. I was destined to do so from there it's been non-stop ever since then i've only been to the boxing once live in my life and i found it because i've always liked the idea of boxing and 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 martial arts but i've said this before on this podcast that i'm famously uncoordinated and you know throughout school bull sports and competitive sports were not my thing because you know i'd go to mark the footy and it would just smack me in the face sort of thing i just <laughs> it was, i was just a bit hopeless and so I probably very wisely i recognized early on that you know having a, a fist flying at my face would be something i would never be able to get out of the way of in time so uh you know i directed my energies elsewhere but but I kind of like the idea of it. I like the the one-on-one -on -one competition. And even though it's very politically incorrect these days to kind of talk about this stuff in some ways, I admire the discipline and the athleticism and the uh, and the skill that's required between those two combatants or competitors. But when I actually went and saw it live, I actually found it a bit shocking because it wasn't perhaps a very high grade of boxing that I was watching. And mm -hmm. it looked pretty you know, behind the tuck shop sort of stuff to me. <laughs> it was a fair bit of headbutting and biting and oh, wow. carrying on going on. And I thought, gee, this is gruesome. If this is sort of club level boxing, then I've definitely made the right choice. Yeah, that's probably not something I've ever seen even. Is so right? I'm not sure what show you were at, but oh, that okay. sounds quite interesting. Yeah, it was pretty ordinary and there was a fair bit of blood spilt. And so, but your experience was different, obviously. When you saw it, you, you saw 
what 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 did you see on the in the ring there? Gladiators or I saw beauty. Did you? Which sounds very strange, but I think Muay Thai is very different to a lot of other combat sports, including boxing. So with Muay Thai, there's a lot of tradition and a lot of respect attached to the sport. So it's something that people notice that haven't watched combat sports will see if they attend a Muay Thai event is the level of respect and the tradition that they see in the ring. So even though it's such a brutal sport, often it's not portrayed that way at all so um, yeah I guess when I watched my first fight show because I had trained in it and I actually understood the sport I could appreciate what was happening in the ring opposed to seeing you know blood flying everywhere which I mean does happen but it's not as common as what you think but yeah I, I saw beauty which does sound strange but I saw a female fight that night which for back then was quite rare for females to fight. You know, they probably weren't given the opportunities that males were given. And then from there, I actually became friends with the girl that I watched fight because I was just absolutely in awe of her her skill and her grace and the way she was made, able to make something so brutal look so good. Were there men fighting that night as well? Yes, absolutely, yes. So, I mean, for some fight cards, it's rare to even have one female bout on the card, and that night I was just lucky enough to see to see one. What's it like when you're a female fighting on the, what do you call it, the boxing ring or the... the what, yeah, what in is the it? ring. In the ring, because it's a pretty blokey audience. Is the, does, the, does the tone of the audience change when the women are on, on in the ring? Is it respectful or is it not respectful it depends which show and event that you go to so if i'm completely honest that our sports had a massive shift um, since i started fighting when i started fighting as a real like i would have been 15 16 when i was fighting in the ring at quite big events and don't get me wrong there's certain comments that are made when you're walking out which isn't uh you know they're not putting me down as a fighter they're looking at me as something completely something else but that's definitely changed there's more females in it um so I run my own fight show my own promotion called pride fight series and I actually had five female bouts on my last card and my goal in the next two years is to have a 50 50 card and I think I'll definitely achieve that so our sport has seen a massive shift and majority of the events the crowd's extremely respectful and it's there's a lot of families attending a lot of kids and a lot of females as well so that male dominated industry is definitely changing probably definitely in Adelaide for sure but even Australia wide it's becoming you know female fights are all over the cards and the crowd's pretty evenly spread actually it's interesting to hear you say it's a family occasion i would never have thought of taking young children to to watch uh, that kind of sport and what well let's get straight into that what what what's the benefits for kids or young people to either be involved or or view this sort of stuff so i guess oh there's so many benefits for kids doing any sport at a young age you know it's confidence it's learning to work with other people believe in yourself get knocked down get back up you know learning to lose and not be good at something so that comes with just being involved in sport as a kid but to be involved in martial arts you know there's a lot of self-defense aspects um which don't get me wrong 
sometimes that can go the other way and kids can use it for, for other reasons. But for the majority, learning self-defence as a kid is, is extremely important in my opinion. And then there's other things of confidence building, you know, and also, as we were talking before, martial arts can be a very humbling experience. So sometimes being put in your place and being shown that you're not always going to be the biggest and the strongest is actually really beneficial for kids who can often think that they're very, you know, invincible. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of even in Muay Thai, even though it's a 100% contact sport, there's a lot of things in place to ensure that kids don't get hurt. So, for example, our juniors, until they're sort of 14, 15, they will never spar with head contact at all. And they also wear, you know, they're fully padded, so they'll wear shin guards, a full you know, full body armour, elbow guards, gloves and headgear. Um, so it's actually just like two little ninja turtles <laughs> in there. So other sports such as even taekwondo can actually be a lot worse for contact than Muay Thai can be because, yeah, I think that we've put enough structure in place to make sure that the kids have got that safe pathway to learn the sport. And even sports like footy and rugby, you know, a lot of our students come in injured from that, but they'll never leave our gym injured as such. Mm. So, Is it a point scoring system like, like it is with boxing, uh, unless you actually knock someone out, which is yes. obviously uh, the end of the, the match, but otherwise you're just scoring points through different sorts of blows? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And obviously there's a lot of defensive work involved in that. But yeah, it is point scoring where you can win with a TKO, which is a technical knockout, or a, a KO, which everyone knows is a knockout. So so technical knockout is basically they're down and they probably shouldn't get up again or they're, yeah, they're a yeah, bit wobbly so on their feet. The ref can call it. Um, or, you know, if your corner believes, you know, or this could end quite badly, they can throw the towel in, which is a technical knockout as well. Yeah. So I just want to remind people of your kind of qualifications in this and I just uh, from the internet uh, and let me know if I've left out any of the important stuff. But <laughs> you started out in karate and you're a third Dan black belt yes, in karate. That's and then from there you moved on to Muay Thai. Yeah, so I still maintained my karate for quite a long time and sometimes I'll go back and revisit it because it's got that it's got really good core values which can translate directly to fighting. So that's where I started. World Muay Thai Council Shins of Steel champion, uh, two times uh, International Federation of Muay Thai Associations Australian champion and world champion. Uh, is that in in an age group or a, a weight class? Yeah, so in a weight class. So after after winning the Australian titles, so the nationals, you have the opportunity to represent Australia and go to the World Championships. So I was very fortunate to be able to go twice. So I won a bronze medal my first year and then the following year I went back and won gold. Awesome. International Kickboxing Federation South Pacific champion mm -hmm. and uh, also three times Commonwealth champion. And you're the South Australian representative for Muay Thai Australia. I think yes. you've got it pretty well covered. <laughs> Are you still competing professionally? Uh, at the moment, no. I'm on a little bit of a break. So obviously with COVID affected things a little bit. I actually finished right at the start of COVID in Japan. I was in Tokyo for a five-week training camp with a world champion over there. Um, so I thought that may have been a lead into perhaps my retirement fight. But then obviously COVID happened and I was sent home. So since then I've been focusing on building my own fight team, the gym and my own promotion. So I am on a little bit of a break and, and trying to, I guess, set my life up uh, for when fighting isn't an option. So I think when I'm comfortable, I'll go back to fighting and, uh, yeah, try and finish off on a high, I think. 
what would be the the pinnacle for you if you could have one more? Uh, if you could have one more line to that list I've just read out. Ah, uh, it would probably be a WBC belt. Right. Okay. So if uh, if you had that fight on this weekend, how unprepared would you be, and and what would you have to do, and how long would it take to get ready for that fight? Oh, I'd be very underprepared. Although I'd probably still do it. <laughs> uh, so obviously it's in in weight classes. So what I walk around at and compete at fighting is not something that I can actually maintain living a regular life and working a full time job. So I would probably need to spend sort of three to six months maintaining my weight, getting fit and building the foundations again. Being fit and being conditioned are two very different things. So really trying to build that conditioning and get used to throwing those techniques over and over again. And then it would sort of be between an eight to 10 week fight prep, I guess you could say. That's going from not training at the level that I would need to be. Now, I pushed my luck asking you your age, so I won't ask you your weight, but how much <laughs> how much weight are we talking about losing to be in that sort of um, fight ready? I would probably need to lose around six kilos okay. to be at a walk-around weight where I can make my weight class again. Yeah, so. so the cupcakes are off. The cupcakes would certainly be off, <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So, I mean, as well as all your fighting career, you've developed this business you've got your own gym called females fighting forward yes and you're promoting this prestigious pride um, fight event that uh, you mentioned and you're wearing the 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 t-shirt yes (laughs) tell us about the the gym first of all how how did that start and what's the main goals so as I mentioned before my dad owns Boar's Martial Arts so I operate out of there so we're a family-run martial arts center so At the age of 15, I had to do a personal project at school. So I decided that I wanted to teach some of my friends self-defence because, uh, you know, you start going out as young girls and you you notice, or I started to notice there was a bit of a confidence difference with the way I held myself opposed to how some of my friends did and I felt like I could look after myself. So I wanted to give that back to them. So as my personal project, I started Females Fighting Forward and I was going to run one self-defence seminar which sold out with 50 participants and the rest is history from there. So, yeah, from there I built my self-defence programs. I started a female-only Muay Thai class, which has been quite successful and I've now got my own female fight team out of there, which is great. So, yeah, obviously working alongside my dad, who's very successful in the martial arts world, I have almost followed his footsteps a little bit and under his guidance I've been able to build that program essentially and been able to travel Australia and and teach what I know, which has been fantastic. So, yeah. How many of the women that you teach self-defence actually think, start to think that actually they would like to learn Muay Thai and actually think about competing? Is it a a big number or a tiny Uh, I would say it's between 60 to 80% would probably decide to try something else. Learning self-defence is, uh, it's challenging, it's intimidating, it's... You know, it really takes you out of your comfort zone for a lot of people that have never done martial arts, let alone sport in their life. So then for these women to come in and learn and be challenged and I guess they realise what they're capable of if they're willing to really step out of that comfort zone, they go, all right, I'm going to take it one step further and I'm going to start to actually learn a sport and, and get involved in it. So the conversion rate is actually quite high. So... 
So Muay Thai, compared to something like karate, which I, I mentioned to you, I just had a little bit of uh, training in, and that was, as usual, completely unsuccessful for, <laughs> for an athlete like myself. But how, how disciplined is it? You know, in karate, you've got very specific katas and, and uh, uh, moves and, and rehearse steps. Is it, is it similar to that in Muay Thai, or is it...? It is, as a fighter, you have to be extremely committed and disciplined, don't get me wrong, but as a student that's learning it, uh, Muay Thai can actually be really relaxed. So, you know, you can attend the classes that you want to. You don't have to be a particular belt or grade. You know, you can just rock in on a Monday, Wednesday, Thursday and Saturday and just train and enjoy it and learn and, and develop as you go. So it's certainly more relaxed in terms of ge- the general population wanting to learn it. So is it more like a fitness class that's based around boxing and kicking type? Um, essentially, I wouldn't say fitness class. It's definitely still a structured martial art, especially, you know, depending on which gym you go to. But uh, the fitness and conditioning comes with it. So, you know, a lot of people do Muay Thai because it's it's interesting and it's engaging and they don't feel like they're... You know, they've got so much to think about so they're not worried about how tired they are opposed to running 20 minutes on a treadmill. But the, the fitness certainly just comes with it. Yeah, I've spent a bit of time in, in Thailand and I have seen some of those sort of tourist-type kickboxing mm-hmm. demonstrations in, in Bangkok, which, again, for, given that they're done every night for the tourists, we're pretty full-on. You know, yep. they're really giving each other a whack. And uh, that term, kickboxing and Muay Thai, that is interchangeable, isn't it? So they're two completely different sports, actually. Yeah. So Muay Thai, the the difference between the two, obviously Muay Thai is a little bit more traditional. So we wear the Mong Kong, which is the headpiece, and we do the Waikuru Ramoy, which is a traditional dance and sealing of the ring beforehand. And then on top of that, we are allowed to clinch or grapple, which is... I guess, wrestling standing up, I guess you could put it. And then we can also knee and elbow as well. So in traditional kickboxing, it's just punching and kicking and you can knee, but you can't hold on to your opponents. So very different. There's a very different pace on it and a very different style as well. So I watch a bit of MMA mainly because one of my sons is obsessed with it. So I kind of... uh, uh, catch an eyeful by uh, by accident sometimes and that seems to be growing in population at an enormous rate at a time when boxing is coming under so much scrutiny particularly in this day and age of chronic traumatic encephalopathy the CTE you know the sort of repetitive minor injury producing long-term brain injury it seems a bit of a paradox that some of these combative sports are really uh, becoming enormously popular and in the same breath Sports like boxing are becoming more and more scrutinised and criticised and and rugby league and and other sports as well. What's your sense of all that? Do you think, why is there a need for this kind of sport to exist? Uh, I guess is the, the philosophical question. I think it's one of those things that until you've been involved in it and you've done it, you really don't understand don't understand it essentially. So for, for me, it's, you know, sometimes I look at horse racing and I, I can't understand it whatsoever. But then if I sit down and talk to someone who's involved in the sport, their opinion of it is completely different. So MMA is definitely growing and that's thanks to the money behind it, the marketing, you know, we've got UFC that's in the media spotlight and that is at the most extreme level. So a lot of that, you know, the 
I guess the rowdiness around martial arts that you see, a lot of that is just about the money and the marketing. Whereas, you know, if you head down to your local MMA show or your local Muay Thai show, it's completely different. You know, it's actually a very respectful and it's a very strong community. So don't get me wrong, there's always injuries, but I think that, you know, major head injuries and stuff like that, it's not as common as what people think so you know I went to a I had some fighters in an amateur fight competition yesterday and there was not one knockout not one I think there may have been a TKO where where the ref called it but other than that there were no major injuries and that's across 15 bouts with 30 athletes so the injury rate you know I would say it's a lot more common to walk away with an overuse injury you know like you know a torn calf or a torn hamstring or you know your shoulders a bit overdone but in terms of you know major things happening yeah it's not it's a I'm not going to say it's rare but it's definitely not as common as what I think outsiders would think it is. So probably no more or less bruises than you would end up after a Saturday game of footy or I think sometimes that's almost worse (laughs) because I guess when you uh, uh, in Muay Thai so you know if a normal person sits back and watches the sport and you're like oh they're hitting each other so hard you know you to the leg you're conditioned to that you know it's two people that have trained for that not just for a month you know they've been training for years and years to build up that muscle conditioning so you know those kicks to them probably aren't doing too much opposed to if a normal person was to get in there and cop one of those and it wouldn't be so pleasant so you don't wake up black and blue the next day from bruises on your thighs uh, and things yes but uh yes if you're not fighting without padding so you know when you get to that pro level and the padding comes off the worst thing to wake up from from a fight if if nothing too bad has happened is you might have some bruised shins from kicking the other person but other than that you know it's not it's not too bad i keep thinking of that horrible youtube video where the kickboxing person kicks someone else and breaks their own shin it's just i can't i cannot bear to watch that okay don't get me wrong that does happen but that's so rare you know i think that's i've seen two clips of that happening ever so yeah that's I've never seen anything like that live before. <laughs> I've, I've seen a lot of broken and mangled limbs in my life as a, working in a trauma in medicine. I can imagine. But, but I rarely get to see them actually happen and just <laughs> <laughs> there's something about that. But anyway, so well, what about your personal experience? How often would you have been not completely knocked out? I was knocked out only once in training. So if, if you're in a controlled training environment with good coaches, knockouts – very rarely happen in training so my one was when I was a little bit younger and it was a total freak accident so and I was fine afterwards obviously I had a bit of concussion but you know since then I've actually touch wood I've never been knocked out in training or a fight and we've only ever had over 26 years I think dad said we've had uh, one other knockout happen in training which again just happened it wasn't from a lack of control it was just you know the right punch at the right time so do you think the less trained and experienced you are like in lower grades of footy for example there tend to be more injuries and more aggro because it's less controlled is is that the case in some of these martial arts uh, I would say so definitely yeah so if you watch you know you were saying before you saw quite low level boxing if you go to a a proper boxing fight you know obviously the professionals not only are they can they hit really hard but their defensive work is is really good so I heard a statistic the other day that in pro boxing only I think it was between 15 
15 and 25% of shots actually land, which is not much considering how much they throw. Again, that comes down to the trainers being being aware and, and being able to control their students as well and instill the right values in them in training martial arts. So I know that in our training centre, hard sparring, well, we don't spar hard. And if we do, it's the higher level fighters that will do it. And, it, you know, very rarely it will result in, in serious injury. And when you're doing that sort of spar training for your professional fights, are you mm-hmm. are you wearing helmets and or headpieces? And uh, so sometimes. So personally at our gym, if we're boxing sparring, which is all just obviously head and body contact, then we will wear headgear and we wear head heavier gloves as well so we go up to 16 ounce but in terms of Muay Thai sparring you know even if we're hard sparring with the with the professional fighters there's never a hundred percent power hits to the head you know as a as a, someone that's trained in martial arts, you know when to pull back. You can just pop that punch there. You know, you don't actually have to follow through on it. So I guess, yeah, the more um, experience that you're getting that you have in a sport, the easier it is to train harder, spar harder and not actually do any damage to your partners. How do you feel in that in those minutes leading up to a professional fight and when you step into the ring? I, I mean, I would be terrified i'm sure what's the balance of fear and excitement for you you know what the nerves never go away and every single time you feel sick to your stomach and you every time i have my hands wrapped i ask myself why am i doing this i could play netball and be a normal person and it would be fine but you know as with anything with a bit of risk there there's something so beautiful about looking fear directly in the face and conquering it so even though the nerves are there you know, I always try to remind myself fear and excitement are the same thing. So what are the benefits for you, Carly? What what, what would you lose if you walked away from this tomorrow? God, that's a hard question. Uh, the benefits for me is overcoming my own mind. So a lot of fighters will say, you know, nine times out of ten, it's got nothing to do with the opponent standing in front of you, but everything to do with yourself and your own mind and conquering all your self-doubts. So... You know, for me, even though I'm not actively fighting right now, I'm still training because for me the challenge and the the mentality of fighting is directly applicable to life. So I feel like I'd be taking a step backwards in life if I cut martial arts out of my life. And anyone that knows me knows that I would never do that anyway. <laughs> I'm obsessed. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm, I'm obsessive when it comes to my sports and activities, so I kind of get that. And so it's good to hear you explain stuff the way I, I view my risk-taking activities. I feel the same way that, you know, without putting yourself out there and, and taking some risks which are physically and, and physically dangerous and mentally challenging, I don't think you do grow and, and develop the confidence and resilience that, that you need as a, as a person. And, I mean, just hearing you talk then, I can see why your students would respond well to what you're saying and, and uh, particularly some of the younger students perhaps who are lacking confidence in themselves is you know that that self-assurance that comes with what you're talking about must be very empowering for some of these young women I think so and to be honest a lot of the people that walk into a martial arts gym you would never expect them to so it's not your naturally athletic people it's you know shy people that uh, you know perhaps haven't done sport before and they're really lacking something in their life and you know what they end up making the best fighters because they don't have an ego to feel they're there purely for the right reasons which is to challenge themselves and grow as a person and that's what it's all about. 
I feel like women are a lot more successful at what you've just described than than men, especially young men. Um, do you think the the vibe in the male version of your gym is very different or the people who rock up are different? We certainly get more young men with an ego that walk through the door opposed to young females with an ego. But I think as a family gym, we've really nailed our target market. So those people tend not to last more than two lessons in our club um, that they don't fit in it's not the culture that we breed there so you know I have chatted to so many promoters and other trainers and they would all agree that females are often a lot easier to train in a competitive sport because they you know do have a little bit less of an ego and they're willing to learn and, and listen a little bit more so that the vibe from our female classes to our mixed classes are slightly different, but they're not that much different. So, yeah, which is quite surprising for a lot of people. Mm. What does it feel like to land a really good punch on someone, you know, on the nose or on the chin? What is it? pretty satisfying it, it is not because you have landed it on someone else but for myself I think wow I timed it well it was accurate I've had enough speed and power behind it for it to affect so I, I can't speak for every fighter but I've never gone into the ring and thought I really want to hurt someone ever so and I think a lot of fighters would carry that same mentality it's about you know thinking about how accurate can I be you know how you know it's what tactics can I use to win? You know, it's a little bit, uh, as you get up in the ranks, it's a little bit more like playing chess. You know, you've got a game plan, trying to stick to it, trying to land that one shot that you know that there's going to be an opening for. So I think the game changes a little bit from when you go from a complete beginner up to someone that's had, you know, quite a few fights. Does it ever feel personal in the ring when it starts to, you know, feel a bit out of control or you feel like, well, that was a low blow or whatever the female version of that is you know <laughs> does, does it does it I guess if you lose your temper then you're likely to come unstuck in terms of your game plan but do you feel that animosity building sometimes um don't get me wrong there's definitely fights that we've all had that we there might be a little bit of a you know a personal barney between two fighters but I think it's different in fighting because when you get into the ring you are both capable of fighting and hurting one another and you've both trained extremely hard for it whereas if someone was to step onto the football field which is not fighting you know and there is that that personal issue there and then a fight comes out it's off it's probably a a lot worse than if two fighters don't like each other because from the the outside of the ring you know often you probably wouldn't be able to tell unless they're doing something disrespectful then you can tell but other than that they're still just doing the same thing that they would normally do so yeah I guess we've all had fights where there's been something personal attached to it whether that be someone making a comment online in the lead up to the fight or a fighter or their trainer doing something disrespectful on the way out to the ring or during the fight then I guess that can definitely change the tune of it for sure. It's funny watching the pro boxers or MMA fighters, you know, they have that sort of standoff for the for the media before the fight and there's so much, you know, whether it's fake or real anger and aggression in those in those little media conferences, but they occasionally do kind of blow up and, and go pear-shaped. Do you reckon that stuff is mainly for the media though and, and mainly for the hype or is it is it real? 
I guess some cases would be real, but the real extreme ones which unfortunately take over the internet are often just about a paycheck. So, you know, it does, it sells. Yeah. You know, if people see that, that weigh-in or that conference where there's so much anger between two fighters, you're probably going to want to tune in to see how that fight ends. So, I think so. Yeah, I think for a lot of people that aren't involved in the sport, they see UFC and they see the marketing and the videos around it. And my God, does it look intense. But like I said, if you go to a local show, (laughs) that's not really happening. And obviously the cockier the fighter, the more arrogant they are, the more you want them to to lose big time. Yes, uh, absolutely. I think a good example of that is Conor McGregor, which everyone knows, you know, he at the end of the day is one of the highest paid athletes in the world in history. And you know what? He's probably quite a humble person sitting at home quite happy right now. (laughs) I would say so. And he actually doesn't seem to win a lot of his fights that I've watched. Oh, really? Yeah, he's. Uh, he, I think he's getting a little bit past yeah. his time. But you know, if you if we worked out how much he's actually made, I don't think he would mind too much. No, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Well, what's the age range for these for for what you do or for MMA fighters? I'm not too sure about MMA, but in terms of Muay Thai, it's it's quite. It's quite broad. I'd say, you know, between 20 and 30 is the most popular age range to be competing in Muay Thai. But, you know, we have older people on shows, you know, heading into their 40s and 50s that might jump in for an amateur fight with another with another person of that age group. And I know that local boxing has a Masters League as well, which is fantastic. So, yeah, I think obviously I've been in martial arts a long time and I started I had my first professional fight when I was 16 years old. So I've been in it for, you know, fighting for eight years at that sort of level and the body does take a hit. But I think after this little break, you know, I'll be able to go for another 10 years, I think. (laughs) (laughs) What do you fear most, getting badly hurt yourself or badly hurting someone else? As in when I'm in the ring fighting? Mm. Neither cross my mind if I if I'm honest um I do remember uh I did have a fight where it ended in a knockout and that was through several knees to the head and at the time I remember thinking that I wanted it to be over because I didn't want my opponent to leave not be able to leave the ring on her own two feet so but that could just be me personally I can't speak for other fighters they might think well I really want to hurt that person but you know I would in a way, as a person, I would rather walk out hurt than be able to affect someone's ability to work or, you know, get up to their kids the next day. But at the end of the day, that's the sport and it yeah. does come with it, I guess. But oh, Everyone understands the risks, I know. Yeah, that, that's it. And it, it is that. And it's important to remember that, you know, if I've trained the house down for 12 weeks and I am absolutely on fire, my opponent is also the exact same. So we both go into the, into it having trained and conditioned to it. So whatever happens in the ring, you know, we're both both ready for it. No doubt at some point in your career you've, you've been in the ring and suddenly realised that you're outclassed or in a bit of strife. What, mm-hmm. what does that feel like? It's a good reminder <laughs> that you're not always going to be the best and there's always going to be someone out there that can outdo you. So... As you said that, I can think of one fight that uh, I had. So I qualified to go to the World Championships very, very early in my fight career. So I went up against the UK champion who at the time had over 150 fights and I was stepping in for my fourth fight. So it was a big mismatch. I survived. I did okay. But it uh, it really hurt the ego 
I guess you could say, but at the same time, it was that loss and that feeling of being outclassed that made me work that made me work that much harder to go back and and do it again. Can you kind of go into full defensive mode when you know you're in in strife and uh, just try and survive the round? Yeah, look, I that whole fight for me was survival mode, was staying away from shots that I knew that I wouldn't be able to wear and essentially I don't think I attacked the whole fight. It was all just about keeping myself safe and, and I did that effectively and I walked out of it okay. But it was a really big learning curve and I think, you know, those experiences are so important for fighters to actually have to learn from that. So I came back from that and I was literally stronger than ever and my mentality was in the right place to become successful as a fighter. But yeah, you know, times like that I think are important no matter what sport or, you know, career path you're in is having those times where you really question your ability and then I guess it can make or break you. You either get back up and try again or you can let it define you and you're just going to stay in that in that bad place, I guess. And was there something specific you had to work on after that? Did you try to say, you know, it was, it was a speed problem or um, fitness or...? Uh, it was a little bit of, I guess, everything, probably lack of experience mm. overall. So, you know, as you get up in your fight career, you realise how important your running is, how important your strength and conditioning, how important your recovery is. You know, if you get into the ring with with sore, sore muscles, well, that's not going to go down too well for you. So I guess it was a little bit of everything that I had to work on, but also reminding myself that I needed to be patient and, you know, get take every opportunity that I could to get that experience up, which is everything that my opponent had already done at that point. So even though she beat me and quite very well actually you know I used that as inspiration and I looked at her as someone that I wanted to be like and and train like her and and I did that just want to finish up by talking a little bit a little bit about your business again and and your, the gym uh, females fighting forward uh, on your website there's a little bit of a mention about uh, supporting beyond blue and uh, domestic uh, violence gender-based violence issues and is there something specific around that or is it just because you're dealing with a lot of people who come to you because they have some history there or what, why is that important to you? So obviously teaching self-defence specifically to women, you are open to many people that have had traumatic experiences in their past or who might be currently living in it. So um, often we have, when we run our self-defence programs, we have lots of women that will reach out who are in difficult, difficult positions or trying to come back from something traumatic so for us as instructors it's really important to be across all of these issues and understand what people need when they first make contact if they do make contact you know we might not actually be what they need at that specific time which is why we've got all of those support lines on the website but yeah it's, it's something that hits quite close to home I guess we were sitting uh, we were chatting before a little bit about how self-defense came about in my family so um, my dad went into martial arts and started his club very heavily focused on self-defense for children he had an incident when he was younger which I guess determined his pathway and and is why he's so heavy into teaching self-defense so I guess that's been passed down through myself a little bit and I'm very passionate about helping people regain that confidence and you know have the ability to look after themselves if they need so early in this conversation you talked about your school project and you felt that you because of your long history of of uh, self-defense and martial arts training you know carried yourself 
a little bit different to some of the other younger young girls around you and and you are able to impart that confidence through this training to your schoolmates. And I think there's a lot to that, isn't there? When you're, I guess I've felt it as a tourist in a foreign place, you know, the way you walk and hold yourself, you either look like a tourist and a victim or you try and blend in and look like a local because you just, you don't realise how confident you look when you're normally just walking around the streets of our town uh, in, your, in your happy place, in your, in, in, in your own environment. But when you're in a foreign place or for some reason something feels uncomfortable and uneasy you hold yourself even differently you look different don't you and mm. so uh, is that something that you can help impart to the to, to the women you teach yeah I think so yeah confidence through like I said you know knowing your own abilities and and knowing how to physically look after yourself as a female that is so empowering and I, I'm a big believer that everyone should learn self-defense or everyone should participate in martial arts at some point in their life. Like you said, you know, there were things that you took away from your experience with karate. So it, I think it's important for everybody to learn it. It's like, you know, we learn first aid at school, but do we do we actually learn how to physically look after ourselves? We talk so much about, you know, stranger danger, but at the end of the day, do kids know how to look after themselves physically if it if it goes past that point? So, yeah, I, I think it's a very important message to get out there. How much people. of it is just teaching them about situational awareness and not getting themselves into a situation which could become a problem or if a problem starts to arise, how to get extricate themselves without, you know, needing to get as far as, you know, violent confrontation yeah it's it's a little bit of both I think situational awareness is absolutely huge I think it's completely underrated in in teaching self-defense so for example one part of our women's self-defense course the first thing that we talk about is uh, body language how to hold yourself you know that real victim mentality you know it can it really can determine the outcome of a particular situation and also talking about de-escalating a situation so you know a lot of that can be done through your body language and also through how you verbally communicate with someone so self-defense isn't always a physical altercation it can very much be about how you communicate with somebody you know if if I was to stand in front of you and and put my fists up straight away like we're about to have a fight if you also put your fists up then we're probably going to have a bit of an altercation whereas you know if you pop your hands up in front of you and you're like wow okay and you take a step back you know it's something as simple as that that can really de-escalate a situation you know and that's a lot of that's a skill that some people don't have naturally. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And did you learn all this through your own training or uh, being being around people who were teaching this stuff or did you do any kind of counselling or psychology training formally or is this just stuff that you've you've learnt through all your experience? I would say most of it is through learning through experience. I'm very fortunate to be surrounded by some incredible and experienced martial arts instructors at our club, especially my dad. He's very, very knowledgeable when it comes to self-defence training. But I guess there, there's been a few courses that I've done online and stuff to help me understand the um, I guess the mentality of people who have been through traumatic experiences and whatnot so you know I, I try and take every opportunity that I can to learn a little bit more and as with anything times change things change so you've really got to try and stay on top of it. 
So what's next for the cupcake? <laughs> what's next for the cupcake? Um, so I guess um, one thing that I'm focusing on right now is my promotion Pride Flight Series. So at a local level, providing a safe and professional platform for our local athletes to compete on. And then from there, what I'm trying to do is build up the female scene a little bit more, which um, I think I'm doing really well at the moment. And I want to focus on the juniors as well. So um, not juniors competing but I'd love to run some development stuff for the juniors of our sport you know to get them together working together bringing the kids together that all love the sport and I guess yeah just developing their confidence and and whatnot and trying to bring that more family friendly appeal to fight shows because it's it's definitely not what you see on the tv often so yeah that's, I guess, my focus for now. So COVID willing, what does next year look like for the for Muay Thai in, in Adelaide, for example? Where can I go and see some? So next year, um, we've actually got a few martial arts events. So there's a couple that are Muay Thai specific, so mine and a couple of others that we run. And then there's also some big kickboxing shows here in Adelaide. So there's actually shows on quite regularly to go and watch. And I must say, even though Adelaide, you know, we're a little bit behind in the times or whatnot we've got a really good local community and the the quality is definitely there so if you ever wanted to go and watch a a Muay Thai show well I I can only recommend Pride Fight Series. (laughs) Um, Carly I can't allow you to say Adelaide is behind the times we are we are leading the charge in every every sphere of endeavour so um, we're gonna have to delete that Uh, I'm just looking at the editor get that get that statement out of this show no I'm not yeah, we've got our pros and cons, let's say. Yes, we, we definitely we do. <laughs> and you are definitely one of the, the, the pros, and I mean that in the most respectful manner possible. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, Carly, thank you very much for joining me. I've learnt a lot about uh, martial arts and um, and female fighters, and I remain impressed and inspired by what you've achieved in the last 24 years. So good luck with, uh, with what goes on in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, that's the show for today. Thanks for joining me. If you want any more information, you can check out the podcast website at realriskpodcast.com. Mm-hmm.